0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting equipment. We got a fun show for you all today. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antlera podcast. We are on episode 188. And on this week's episode, I was joined by Byron Horton from the Whitetail Experience. Byron is a guest that I've been extremely excited to finally have on the show because I've been watching Byron's YouTube videos the last few years and I also tune into his podcast whenever they drop right here on The Sportsman's Empire. And this is one of those episodes where, like, you name it, we talked about it when it comes to hunting whitetails and what goes along with that. From struggles of last season, mobile gear, the pay to play, self-filming, getting the last minute pieces together for this upcoming season, you name it, we talked about it. So to begin this episode that we hear, Byron discuss some of the struggles he encountered last season and if there are really any goals heading into this upcoming year. We dive into some early season hunts that could possibly happen for Byron and the struggles with really hunting the early season. And we get into what he's doing right now to make sure everything is good to go for the year and dialing in his setup and what you should be doing to dial in all your gear before the year begins. We also get into self-filming talk, and this was really great to hear because I believe Byron does a hell of a job with the camera and telling a story through the lens. If you haven't had the chance, though, to watch any of the videos, this, I'm telling you, this evening, go to YouTube, check them out. Some freaking awesome hunts. Byron also shares information regarding his Uncut series, which is also on his YouTube channel, and that's where that pay-to-play, when it comes to hunting right now, comes into play for that during this episode. So tune in, listen some stories. And this was a fun conversation with Byron. Make sure you follow along with what he's doing over at the whitetail experience. Enjoy this episode. We'll see you next week. Antler up. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting, designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter Tether produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters, for the Saddle Hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP, and you will save $10 off your order. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler podcast. I'm joined on the other line by someone that I've been itching for the last four years to finally get on here. and, And this morning, we're finally able to make it happen. So Byron Horton, Byron, welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey man, thanks for having me. Uh, big fan of yours. Kind of came across you on the Sportsman's Nation, started listening, and kind of liked uh, your direction, the guests, So yeah, happy to be here, man.
0: Dude, I appreciate it. That means a lot too, coming from you. Because like I said, the last couple of years, always enjoy what you've been doing, putting out, and and you know what, as far as the video goes, the podcast goes, just the informational uh, information that you give out. So I I appreciate you taking the time and and for all the work that you've put in the last couple of years. So it goes a long way it's helped a lot of hunters and individuals so you know good meaningful content good meaningful purpose and that's always enjoyable and refreshing to to listen to but you know we're we're just kind of just quickly chatting some life stuff and and everything regarding that and you know you were just saying potentially trying to get out for an early season hunt and I know with this past summer it's been cool we you know we I had chat on early June and we talked about nothing regarding hunting. We talked about life and fitness and, and work and just like we are who we are basically because of the crap and shit we went through growing up. And it was really cool to see how people really gravitated towards the fitness side of things with that. Um, You know, it was, it was just awesome to see. And with fitness comes goals and with hunting comes goals. Do you set out goals for upcoming seasons just because you know, you look at how last year really went for you. It was kind of really unexpected, you know, unexpected with the EHD issue. So, like, you know, takeaways from that experience, I guess, and how that kind of makes your goals change. Like, do you do any goals for upcoming season?
1: Like, I don't want. I mean, <laughs> I hate to be broad, but like, I'm gonna shoot. An, I want to shoot a nice buck. Like, yeah. like that is a you know, I, I kind of have a few philosophies around it, but like, I don't like set certain goals. I maybe have some lessons from last year that I want to apply Okay. or like, okay, Hey, I feel like I did this in the prior year or two and I need to get back to more X. Like there is definitely some takeaways or some things I learned. I feel like last year that I'm looking to do this year. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't have like, like a hardcore goal. I do like, I think, like, in terms of, like, a let's call it a two- to five-year period, I do believe, like, okay, if, I, if I'm if i shooting nice bucks, nice bucks, like, kind of bouncing that bar to the next caliber is a good thing, and, and I have done that at points, but, like, then I don't kill. I'm like, okay, like, I'd like to kill a buck again. Like, the, the, the standard may shift back to, oh, more of a Pope and Young versus, I think, last year I was kind of like – I don't know, one thirty-five or bigger plus or minus. Right. If he's 20 inches wide, he's going to die in my book. Um, but like, yeah, there, there are definitely aspects to it. Um, I also think uh, there's uh, a little bit of a sliding scale. Like I have this, uh, target, uh, class buck I'd like to kill or uh, October one when season opens or whatever. And then January 15th rolls around. Like that goal is definitely yeah, goal. like <laughs> down in inches and in, in caliber. Um, he cisco talked about that um on on a podcast and i was like i really like that aspect like i still want to kill bucks i still have a lot to learn from from closing the deal in the final 10 seconds so yeah I, i i'm okay with that sliding bar from both a three five year type period and as season goes on
0: yeah that's the one aspect that i think when it comes to especially out of state hunting right like we we all have that that idea I think of what you want to do in your home state and what you're grinding for because majority of your time spent is obviously in your home state. But when it comes to the out of state thing, I one aspect that over the last couple of years that I've really kind of drawn, like drawn to was the fact that like you have this tag and I know you may not go into a different state and you, you, you will say I want to shoot only this and you're okay with eating that tag and spending that money. But, you know, when you have that, you're taking that trip, you're taking that time away from your family, and you have that ability to, you know, fill a buck tag or whatever it is, and it's not – obviously, maybe it's not the caliber that you would shoot in your home state, but it's given you, presented that opportunity. Who knows? Maybe you don't hunt that state again for another couple of years. Like, take that shot. That's the one thing that I've kind of – my belief. Like, if I come to Ohio this upcoming year because I have the, a license from turkey season – Like, obviously, I know Ohio has really great deer, but if a decent, really good eight-pointer steps in front of me and it gets my juices flowing, I'm going to take that shot.
1: Yeah. I I will say this. It took me a couple years to punch an out-of-state tag Mm -hmm. because I did keep my bar at a relatively, like, like I wasn't shooting a four-pointer. I passed a couple 110, 115-class bucks that I think – most guys, when they go to a foreign state, especially if they're coming from a, a PA, a Michigan, w- would take, um, I can think of th- three bucks in three different states that I think most guys would uh, But when I finally was able to make it happen, like it was a little bit better class. It was something I would shoot here in the home state. Now, this, this year, if I do get some out-of-state early season hunt, like I, I, t- I talked to the guys about this the other day, like a velvet buck, if he's, I don't know, just racked out. Like I'm not gonna shoot a four pointer, but like just solid rack. Yeah, like because I may realistically, like I may never shoot a velvet buck. Like it's not yeah. a huge bucket list item of mine. um And you know that openers have to fall in the first week of September versus let's say the seventh, eighth, ninth. Like so, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's it's one of those things. And and then this year I was talking goals and like the stick bow. Uh, might come into play, but I, I still think I want that little bit better caliber. Like yeah. I, I don't want to shoot. I'll just say it like 110 inch spindly 10. He's Pat. I'm passing it. Yeah. Even if he's 10 yards like this right. year. Yeah.
0: I'll tell you what the, it's funny how you said that seven, and ninth window of September. It's crazy to see Byron, when you do go to an out of state early season hunt, how those days are very critical in like your pursuit of, if you do want to have that, that velvet buck, because couple of years ago when me and some buddies went out to Delaware we went around that time frame and mm-hmm. we we saw like a younger buck still holding but then the next night when all three of us saw like a really decent buck in the field he was it was bone you know what I mean it's like dang like and my one buddy that uh, that went that really kind of planned the trip Tom he really was dead set on going with a, a velvet and uh, just the schedules didn't line up that we could have gone a little bit earlier, but knowing that what we know now after that experience, yeah, you have to go for that opening time frame and, and those first couple days to, if that is a goal of yours to kill a velvet buck,
1: you know, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah it's crazy how, uh, how it, it can shift or whatever.
0: So the one thing that I like that what you've been doing is on, on your YouTube channel, you've been doing a like summer White tail checklist of hey, you know here's what we're doing, so we're August is kind of winding winding down, and you already posted your August one with the last couple of weeks remaining and what you have coming up what you know what's going to be getting that extra attention here in in early season because, like you said, you might be going somewhere um you really and the, and during this time frame, does anything get less attention to as well? <sighs>
1: Yeah. So one, like I think in general, like I'm not a huge summer scouter. Um, I have done the, the, at least this year, like I'm not going to be hunting stuff that, that glassing is advantageous of. So, so that's like not a, a priority. I know five years ago I did some glassing type missions, but, um, I just washed all my like early season clothes yesterday. Um, They're like half drying on like the kids jungle gym or the weight (laughs) rack in the garage. Like it it is a bamboozled affair uh, out front right now. But um, so that was like a a checklist item. I I do have some C minus food plot stuff that I do on my small farm. uh, That's like, yeah. It's C minus at best. Um, but that's like a priority that last week of August, like I'll try and shoot out there. I might even do it in the dark, like before work, uh, on a Thursday, if like right. it's going to rain that day. Um, I, in a perfect world, I will get time to do like another four to six cams and another, like a just loop, if you will, where I don't have cams now. And it's a, it's a place I've hunted historically. Uh, I just, I prioritized a whole different area, a whole different block of cams. I got 12 out um, but, but yeah, I would love to get that other six out. It just, I don't know. It's, yeah, I, I got two little kids. Like I can go in there maybe September with the, in like half squirrel hunt, if you will. Yeah. And look at cameras, get some in season scouting. Like yeah. that, that, you know, I, I can shift that priority, but those are like the few things here in August is get the clothes ready. The mobile gears kind of set up film gears is set up. I'm playing a little bit with a pack. Cause I really wanted to go for a fanny pack uh this year but i can't take a um oh my my water um the grail water filter system and i think if i do hunt september like i'm gonna want that so i might have to bounce back to the uh i got like a small eberly stock bandit backpack yep so so that might that is the the loose end to tie up is what what bag i want to run that bag is a really slick bag it's the it's a really good size
0: for like a minimalist, kind of like what you were saying. You want to, if you want to go as light. And I know some friends that really modded it out. So that way they could add some extra compression like straps to it. Um, mm. I have to watch it a little bit more in detail just because like it just has that one flap and there's not extra loops where you could really put those on. And I know they did some modding to that where they've been able to uh, make that pack actually
1: work yeah like it's a great day pack for you know if you were just going to go for like a, a shed hunting trip right because yeah. there are some uh, external attachments to tie off if you only pick up like two or three antlers you may not want to take this to Iowa but <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's super light and you could fit a few things to it but it does it lacks uh, external like little pockets to store like a rangefinder, finder or release yeah. and, and those like organization type aspects of a whitetail bag uh, so yeah like I, I, it's well built well-constructed, but it is, they could tweak some things and be sweet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I think that's where like, uh, I mean, obviously I run that tethered fast pack and it's like a, a, that pack on steroids. And that's where that kind of really, for me, it was like, Yep, because it's very similar base body and all that type of stuff, but it's... Uh, How
1: big is it, cubic inches, like the main uh, housing?
0: I'm, let me... So with the... It's a 1,000 cubic inch main pocket, 600 to 800 additional storage with the lid and side pockets. And that's the other aspect, Byron. Like with the bowling ball uh, side pocket, I have my aider in that. And then the there's a zipper layer. And there is where my rope pull up rope is and then there's that side pocket that leads up to against the main uh frame of the pack basically that's where i'll put my camera arm and and base and stuff like that so very good for organizational stuff and then it fits everything but it rides exactly like the bandit which is awesome so
1: yeah the main is i think a touch smaller right around 800 um like i said they did if I was drawing it up, I'd tweak it a bit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, so with the early season coming up, what challenges do you think uh, you are faced with during this time frame? Like even you can even talk about your early season in Ohio. It doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, if you're going to Kentucky or North Dakota, mm-hmm. like what, what are some early season uh, challenges that you face?
1: Yeah, I think it's like time. Um, and, and aspect of, I'm probably not like the best bed hunter. I'm trying to improve on that as yeah. far as like, you know, get within that, that hundred, 200 yard bubble. Uh, I'm, I definitely am more of a rut or a, I, I do like late October and killed a few bucks on scrapes. Um, but, uh, so that's, that, that's something. And like, I don't hunt necessarily close to the house. So I don't burn PTO October 5th most of the time. Uh, I stack a lot of my stuff to October 15th through even the end of November where I'll take two hours on like a Thursday and scout. So Saturday morning, I got MRI, I've been in the yeah. woods, I got my flow, I kinda understand. So that's like the, the biggest thing I feel like with my my early season aspect. I, I used to squirrel hunt um, a good bit before kids and I was actually much better at getting on deer uh, at, at the opener. Um, so yeah, I just think if I can get in the woods a little bit, like that all helps. Um, and, and maybe just trust in the gut a little more. I think last year, the last year was, was a struggle because of the HD. So like, if I, if I didn't see the buck sign I was looking for, I always assumed death. Like, yeah. I couldn't, I didn't want to sit there in hopes and dreams when a lot of the bucks were dying. So yeah, EHD, we need that to stay, stay away. Yep. Um, and then time aspect, where can I get a couple scouting type missions in and around the opener and then even into that first week, um, time in the woods. Yeah. I'm narrowing my focus too. Like I think I was touch to spread last year where I had area A and B and they weren't exactly close uh-huh. and, I fell in love with B because I had a match set of a nice buck and he was alive, but there, there wasn't necessarily any other shooters, but I had that emotional attachment to it. Like, dude, I got his match set. Yeah. Like I'd love to kill him. But then I abandoned area a that maybe had a nice buck, but also had several other nice bucks. And, and yeah, I just wasn't as efficient and and looking back that, that, that kind of cost me because I was still trying to figure out where, where that match set buck was, was running around and he, he got me he was elusive take the
0: guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of arrows from exodus outdoor gear they have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures just head over to exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door you have two arrows to choose from one being the MMT arrow, which is a two four-six diameter shaft, and the new NIS, which is a two oh four diameter shaft arrow. Use code AU to save 15% off your tailored arrow order at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Yeah, he was elusive. What so you maybe, maybe he died? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you said something that has been a very common theme for me, myself, and my guests the last couple episodes, and that's you said about sticking to your gut. So do you have an example where you did that and you were successful or an example where you wish you would have done it?
1: Yeah. Uh, like a gut success, uh, story. Um, I shot a buck late October and I was like, just scouting my way in mission and I jumped a deer and, oh, some buck shit or, or clumpy turds. I don't know if that's a thing or not a thing, but I'm, I'm gonna go with it for confidence boost. Yep. Uh, a couple rubs and like no giant rubs, nothing crazy. And I can remember, um, I got to a point and there was like three spindly trees and I'd already passed like two other nicer rubs. And I'm like, dude, like, like three or four trees in a row were just raked. I'm like, I gotta be able to shoot this tonight. Like I had a pin that was uh 40, 50 yards further and I had another pin over here that was like 40, 50 yards further. And I was like, Nope, I think I need to, this, I need to be able to shoot this. And I killed a buck there like an hour before closing time. Um, so yeah, like you can't beat it. Like that was just a gut instinct said, you know what? It's, it's time to do it. Um, a, a, a time that it like the gut instinct costs me, <laughs> uh, I, I, as I said, so the, the thing that comes to mind is, uh, I, uh, I was hunting an area and I had some, some bucks on some scrapes and this was like, let's call it October 10th ish. And I knew there's a couple shooters in this area. Uh, scrape along clear cut, and I'm like sweet. I go in there to hunt it like the 19th, and it was like raining and stopping. And I remember I was peeking at this scrape because I didn't want to like lay my boots down. I, I, I was like, ah, is it open? Are they hitting it? I had a camera up in the tree, but it's like the rain is stopping. Like I was like, I gotta hunt. Yeah. And two nights before that, I had hunted based on historical trail cam data where I had a buck the year before, and I felt like that was a waste cause I, I don't believe he was alive. Um, cause after, so, so I was like hunting based on like old trail cam data. And I was like, dude, that was kind of dumb. Like maybe if I had a picture of him or some big rubs and like, Oh, there's a chance he's back. I, I would have felt better about it, but I felt very dumb hunting last year's data. Like he got a guy hit by a car. Somebody else could have shot him like that. just, that didn't sit well. So I'm looking up at that camera. I'm like, no, trust in the gut tonight. And I, I end up looking at the scrape and it's not hit. And I'm like, I said, I know, like, let, let's just keep scouting. Yeah. And there's a, that camera sitting in the tree. There's a picture of me walking away. And then there's a picture of a nice 130s Class 8, and I ended up shooting at, like, 125-inch 8, 60 yards away on a different scrape that I found. But it was like, the gut kind of told me to hunt there, but I was, like, stubborn in my ways. I don't know. It was, it was definitely a second-guess type, uh, type hunt.
0: <laughs> I like the – I wish listening like those of when this finally airs on YouTube or whatever, but the, those listening to this beforehand, you should have seen Byron's face and just the smile. when he's just started talking about it. like when it burned me, uh, you could see the smile and just the, the story and the excitement that he was going to tell on that one. I love seeing that, but man, it's so funny with the gut aspect because th- I mean, going back to past things for me, going with my gut for the success. Obviously I remember those a lot more. And then some of those failures were like, I just want to take a piece of like two by four and just smash it like my face into it. Cause it's like, what were you doing? Why were you doing that? You know, you, you tell yourself, don't do this. And you know, you always, you know, I don't know, you you second guess yourself, I guess. And that's the one aspect of going with your gut. Hell it's even when you wake up in the morning, Like, God, it's doing this. Maybe like those, the second you do that, go. Because majority of the time, that's the, they're the successful days.
1: Well, and I think too, I I did a a video on this, but I remember this was a week, like literally last month, I was listening to a podcast and the guy was like overly analytical as far as his approach was concerned. And then I listened to Tony Peterson and, and Dan Johnson talk like later in the week and like, or maybe it was Andy May and Tony Peterson i think that's who it was but i don't know a combination of those guys and they were just talking about like past experiences like help them with their decision making and it was definitely more of a flow type state approach mm-hmm. that i you know and i've been listening to the stick boys a little bit too and like nathan Killen, like they i think we're too hung up on analytics yeah. You know, the algorithms, the deer are going to move, the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I think you got to walk in the woods and be like, dude, this is the spot to kill them. Like yeah. a little bit, a little more old school. Like we had to be men of the, the, the we got to be men of the woods or men of the field craft. Yeah. yeah.
0: I dude, 100%. I, I mean, you look at these apps now and it's like you have a 99% chance of seeing deer tonight. And I don't know how many times I walked in the woods and I'm, I was going off of like, oh, I this not necessarily use. I was using more of that than I was using, like you said, that that man of the woods of, this is great sign. Like that's when I think again, going back to like, what was I doing? Like, why would I hunt over this sign when it looks old one or it's, that doesn't look fresh? too? like, there's just things like that that I think, like you said, just scout and it you, you'll know when you know basically.
1: Yeah, like, I I, I remember I had, like, an epiphany thought years ago when when the maps were were becoming very popular on your phone. Like, but I think we all walked around the woods staring at our phone and I staring at the woods. And I had a a couple bird dogs at the time, and, like, watch those guys. They figure out the best trail because they're at eye level with the the Mm deer-type travel, and, you know, uh, bird dogs love deer shit. It's just, like... You, I don't know. I don't necessarily like to spend a lot of time when I'm scouting in the uh, winter looking at my phone. Right. I just want to walk the woods. I want to, you know. There's don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I'm not a big e-scouter, but I'll spend a few minutes and say, okay, let's go to ABC. But when I'm walking between ABC, I don't, I don't pick up that phone very much. I want to see what's going on in the woods.
0: Yeah, I like that. So that this leads into a good question with with what we just talked about, like. I obviously being in the education field, I love doing the podcast to learn and grow personally, but allow others to, to do the same thing with it. You know, there are now, I think there's so much good information out there and there's so many amazing hunters that one that we hear all the time from, but then there's some that you hear we don't hear from, right? There's so many, I oh, wish we could, you know, you get on the horn and stuff like that, but what challenges like in a broad scheme of thing do new hunters or guys that are trying to get over that hump, like we're faced with today compared to a few years ago.
1: So I do think like the ability to get information is there. Like you, the podcasts are very digestible YouTube. You can, and you can hone in your, your subject matter. Like mm-hmm. I want to get good at hunting Pennsylvania, a 30 acre track. My grandpa owns you can find a YouTuber podcast on that. Yeah. Um, So that's awesome. But I think where those guys lack is, is have they squirrel hunted? Have they gone out and and done some things? I think, you know, our generation of guys, we were looking at maps and walking around the woods and going, I think this is the property line. Like there's something to just getting out there and, and having, and, and gaining all that experience, I think helps. And then, you know the ability to close on deer like you can't write a book or talk about how to close in that final 30 seconds when maybe somebody is you know a doe catches you reaching for your bow and how do you pull that off like that just comes with time yeah um and there's also like a mental you got to be an assassin Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. there's definitely the ability to close kind of thing like You can't, some guys are really good at shooting under pressure and some guys aren't. Uh, There's, there's a few of those things that, that, uh, if we were in a tribe back in the day, we would have our better hunters because they had a few of these things that are just probably instinctual. Yeah, I
0: agree because that was, I even think of last year with the piebald buck, just that experience of how I knew I could have like looking back on it. I, I shake my head because it's like, man, you should have just been a little bit more aggressive with your movements. I was being, I was playing it off too, too, too cautious and wanting the deer to do a certain thing. When in reality, I needed to adjust to the deer and just done a weak side shot. Like it would have been easy. I just didn't want to get picked off because I was like, wow, I have this chance, right? Um, but I, I agree with you. I think too, like right now, there's it's kind of like going off of what we were saying, there's that information of being too analytical. I think that's like another aspect because you could go down so many rabbit holes with that. And for some, if especially if you're just learning, like you're, like I said, trying to get over the hump, man, that's just so much to digest that when in reality, just go like we were just saying to, to combat that, just go out in the woods and put yourself out there and learn. And, uh, you know, Ryan Glitzky says it best when he's just like, you gotta have that woodsmanship and the only way you're going to get that is by being in the woods
1: yeah and i think there's some grit aspect to it too i talk about i've talked Mm -hmm. about this like it's easy to get fired up here august uh watching a youtube video and a guy shoots a buck but get up nine days in a row at three in the morning (laughs) like dude it sucks yeah um and that's tough to capture in film that's tough to even talk about but like there's just that, that placebo, uh, or I don't know, your brain tricks you. You see the sunshine, a cool November morning and here he comes and he shoots him and everyone's like, dude, I can do that. I want to do that. And they don't realize like, you know, that guy f- fell climbing that hill five times in the rain in October. And, and, you know, he got up every morning and kept going and going. You, you, you gotta give it like, there is some of that, that I think the new hunters don't realize yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, there is a, that mental grit.
0: (laughs) I love that. That's this stuff too. When I was coaching that I used to try to really hammer home is that grit and it's going to help you in so many different ways in, in, in life.
1: Oh yeah. we're, we're only getting softer as a society. I mean, (laughs) look at my grandpa, like those were men's men. They, they, well, they, they build things. They, you know, they were way tougher, you know, and look at my generation. You know, we've had technology and, you know, I, the future generations, man. Whew. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Here we go. Get better, I guess, right? Yeah, so-
1: I watched, dude, I watched this young couple the other day at the pool. I'm, I'm there with my son, and uh, they're wanting their kid to do cannonballs. I look at the dad, no offense, he's 40 pounds overweight and uh, blue-colored hair, so you just do the math. And I'm like, did you want your kid to keep do cannonballs? I'm like, watch this, buddy. Like, I did, like, four in a row with him. Yeah. And, and and you know it, it's one of those things that you know yeah, the, the next generation they're the, we're way softer than our parents that's yeah, for sure yeah
0: one hundred percent and you made a you recently made a video uh, with kind of like that boom of the bust of a public land stuff and there was which dude I really enjoyed it I, I I like this little uncut series that you're doing I think it's great information I think it's 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 needed um and. I that topic what's been the feedback on that or I guess before before you do that explain to people if they haven't checked it out what like what what you're doing with that and what this specific topic was
1: Yeah uh so the uncut is just like I push recording whatever happens happens uh, <laughs> I, you know I, I'm pretty busy with some other editing and and various things going on but I I still want to put some content out um but this video is like the boom bust factor of the public land boom that we've had really going on for like the last six, seven years. Mm -hmm. And I talked about the combination of factors from mapping apps now on your phone, uh, podcast information being so quick and easy and digestible because everybody drives, you can put an earbud in working, mowing the grass. Um, The, the, the THP boom, when those guys left Midwest whitetail and, and you know, people just so relatable, right? Like, and, and my brain somewhat. Is, is targeting that aspect because I look at myself, I target myself at 18 where all it is is the outdoor channel. And you don't understand how those guys are really just hunting bucks that an outfitter has scouted really hard for the last month for that guy, TV guy to come in and shoot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I, I do think like w- w- either this season or last season was probably the most amount of people hunting public land, the most amount of like better hunters hunting public land and the the it's it's tough out there it's way tougher than it was uh, five ten years ago uh, I, I hate to say it I wish I could go back in time and uh, <laughs> really do some damage back uh, ten years ago it's
0: crazy because the one aspect in that too that you talked about and I know Dan has touched upon it Dan Johnson uh, that whole pay to play so I guess in the hunting world explain that
1: yeah like just the the nature of the beast if you will for the last couple of years um go knock on some doors mm-hmm. it is tough to get permission and i also think like your general person who owns maybe 30 acres 20 acres 10 acres that doesn't hunt they've probably been approached enough by knock on doors and then maybe hey like let me write you a check you know i, I buy a hunting lease you know or whatever like they the willing to pay so so i think that that is becoming a, a very big aspect of it you know it, it is one of those things that access is like the number one aspect to to deer hunting oh, uh right. whether it be even if you just want to shoot does well you can't hunt a 10 acre piece every day uh and still have does october 15th 20th like right they'll, they'll figure it out and so you know, the combination of private ground is, is harder to get than ever before. And unless you're like local or know somebody, and even then, you yeah, might have to right. write a check. Yeah. Um, the whole, like, I'm going to work, a, like, I worked a farm in, in college for um, hunting rights, uh, just you know. But uh, the those days are gone. Like, yeah. yeah, I remember some guys, I was hunting that farm, and I was working every Wednesday. I mow grass, move hay bales, uh, paint fences, whatever. I remember some guys tried to lease it out from under me. <laughs> um you know and uh, I, fortunately it was it was one of my friend's mom's owned on the horse farm and she just needed help and that was she she was like no i i'm not gonna you know lease this out but guys literally knocked on the door as i was working and asked for permission to, and, and asked to lease it wow um yeah I, I i just think you know now people have done the public land thing public land is definitely uh, more crowded than it was ever. Yeah. And so, yeah. Like if I want to take my son, for example, like I'm publicly in grinder or whatever, but like, I can't convince my boy to like trek back into with me in a couple of years. Like I I want him to have a good experience. I want him to see deer. I want him to see deer doing deer things. So yeah, I'm going to buy a piece of ground probably in the next 10 years. Right. Yeah. um, In some aspects. Yeah. I I do think the pay to play is like very much a part of, uh, hunting these days. and, you know, yes, equipment's important, but, but I do think the pay-to-pay aspect of private land is, is here, right? It's, it's, it's a resource that's limited.
0: Electrify, escape, and expand. With PWR, nothing will hold you back from finding adventure on your own terms. Forge your own path to places others can't reach by car, by foot, or using analog equipment. Electrify your adventure with PWR's unique e-powered adventure tools that are just as fun to ride as they are practical. Escape the ordinary methods of enjoying the outdoors that take you to the same old spots it seems everyone ends up. Expand your playground, push beyond your old limitations, and find a new comfort zone. Check out the brand new Rome scooter that comes equipped with 4-inch wide heavily treaded tires for maximum grip over loose and aggressive terrain. The 24-inch front wheel diameter makes easy work of rolling over roots, rocks, and other low obstacles in your path. Use code AntlerUp750 for $750 off or AntlerUp25 to save 25% off the site, excluding the Rome. So check out ridepwr.com and prepare for your next adventure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, like you just said, what hit the nail on the head with the, the boom and people, I think individuals that have been doing it for a very long time and they're out there and they're like, just. You know, especially for certain pieces like near me, where it's like a big circle. So you think, like, oh, if I go in this route, like, no one could go come in from the other way. Well, they (laughs) can't. Like, it's there's no spot where it's like restricted access uh, for a lot of different areas and it gets crowded. So I think a lot of people that have been doing that for a long time are going to that spot where it's like, you know what? I want to enjoy it. I want to go and they're paying that opportunity to lease or, you know, join certain hunting clubs and and everything like that. And it's just it's kind of funny because my dad has been a member of the hunting club that I belong to back in Northeast PA where I kind of grew up hunting for I mean, I'm 36. My dad's been a member there for 39 years. And he did that just because it was close to his work. He knew people um, and it was just a spot where he could go shoot, shoot his, you know, clays and hunt a little bit Turkey and, you know, but that was 39 years ago, like in that same thought process of like that is happening now still, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to be able to go and do that and enjoy it. Cause I mean, we've hunted small game stuff on public land growing up all the time, he and I. Uh, and I just remember like, if it got crazy, we'll got a little Western at certain times. He, he would always just go, well, that's why we have the club for whitetail.
1: Yeah. I think bow hunting, obviously too, like it's way more popular than it was. You used to have guys that would just gun hunt, but like kind of the advent of the crossbow has allowed a little more weekend warrior. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to hunt, you know, Yep. granddad's 10 acres. He, you know, I, I can pull a crossbow out and hunt three or four times and it's, you know, allows them to get in the game. And then, uh. Uh, People talk about getting, you know, here in Ohio, throw a corn pile and a trail cam on it. And, oh, yeah, there is a nice buck here. There are deer here. Like Mm -hmm. now, you know, so-and-so's cousin is going to come over and hunt that little 30 acres that originally used to just be like a knock on door piece. Yeah, it's yeah. There's very much a few things in play here that I think making private land and especially like a little more like higher population states tougher and tougher to get. Yeah, I agree.
0: So let's I want to change kind of gear here. You are one that I I really enjoy your storytelling, and when it comes to filming, I, I think you do a, a superb job. Uh, the way the way you tell that story, Byron. When people get into self filming, when they what are like what interests you when you go to YouTube, like how you said earlier, public land, Pennsylvania. You type that in. Mm-hmm. Are you watching videos that are five minutes long and then just of the kill, or are you looking for more so that storytelling uh, aspect of things?
1: Well, I think it depends what I'm searching YouTube for. Like, is it like an information based video? Like, I, I bought some firearms, and so like I'm there to consume more of a talking head breakdown. Mm-hmm. You know, a piece of information. If I'm there for maybe like some entertainment purposes. I'm probably going to watch one of the better, higher produced type hunts um, on YouTube. And maybe, maybe i want to watch, like I watched, um, Oh, uh, more of a video log. Me met a rut hunt guy, shot a buck. I think it was even an Ohio hunt this morning mm-hmm. on YouTube with my son. Um, you know, that was, I think it depends what you go to YouTube for. Uh, I, I do hate this. I hate longer information gear review. Like dude, like I'm sometimes there for a shorter aspect of attention. Yeah. Um, so there there is that that part to it. If you're gonna make a long video, man, you better keep it moving and I better be very dialed to what you're talking about or, or seeing.
0: So when you so for your own creating your your stuff, what yeah, what are and I know you, you offer some great things on your Patreon uh, channel like with, with your podcast and everything like that. What are some, if someone wants to elevate their game a little bit, what are some do's and don'ts? Like just, I guess you could even keep it as broad as you want, man.
1: Yeah. And just for clarification, this is just like, Hey, I want to be better at producing my yes. hunting footage from, from, okay. yeah. Um, I, I have uh, several thoughts on this, but I, I think one that just gets way overlooked is how do you get good at making videos you make videos. So what does that mean for you? Why don't you go hang a trail cam this weekend and film it and make a one minute video of hanging a trail cam? Cause you'll build it. You'll look at it. And then maybe you're watching YouTube and you see, I don't know, so-and-so's film and he hangs a trail cam. Oh, he had like two or three different angles. He had uh, medium tight and, and very far back shots. You're like, Oh wait, I only shot everything hip level. Mm-hmm. And so by building one, a one minute video, you now have gotten so much better for your, let's just call it 10, 20 minute uh, shot a doe early October, shoots a buck in the rut. Now you got a 25, 30 minute film, whatever you want to do at the end of the season, you've gotten significantly better because you've gone through the process, start to finish of shooting a one minute video, editing a one minute video, and then final touches producing it and, and, and looking at it, assessing it. Uh, almost like watching game film.
0: Yeah, the one. Um, yeah, the, the one thing that I I love that you just said about that was like the different angles. Uh, I think that is has been critical. I think that's been even for my development. Making the quick little reels for for tethered has been a huge growth for for me doing that as well.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm somebody that uh, I I'm, I'm a big pace guy. I like to keep the the eye moving. I like to to get a variety of shots. Um, but that doesn't you, you some guys and some guys can't see it. I mean, I can't sing. I'm just not artistically talented to do that. <laughs> and some guys you can know all the functionality of a camera and they don't see it. You know, it, it is an art. Um, you can get better at it, but like you do have to have some natural born ability. Uh, for example, like my favorite shot I've ever produced, and I've I've edited three uh, web show seasons. I've put together my own YouTube channel for years. I, I do content, you know, for a couple companies at a very high level. My favorite shot was shot on an iPhone 5 because I turned around in the tree stand and snow is slowly di- drifting. The sun is coming up, and... I was like, dude, this is a baller shot. I didn't have a nice camera that day because there was snow on the trees and I didn't want to ruin anything for this hunt. I literally pulled out an iPhone 5. To this day is my favorite shot to date I have ever captured. That's awesome. And all I did was set it like, I think it was in 60 frames a second. And I just held it against my chest and rocked between the trees and the, the sun gap came through, the snow was drifting out. And I was like, dude, like every bow hunters seeing what this is doing, that they, they puts them in that spot. Um, but again, it was not on a fancy camera.
0: Yeah. You don't need, that's the other aspect. I, like my goal, I have a a Sony, uh, handy cam that, that I obviously, I, I'll put on a camera arm, like all that stuff. And when I, Seen what I tended to do more so last year was just bring the GoPro, th- slap it on if deer are in, in sight, and just from my point of view. And, uh, and obviously, in a post production, I wasn't going to get anything really out of that. So I was like, okay, next year, let's keep this Sony, let's go roll with it. And then I added a 360 camera because I am. To the T Byron, (laughs) when that moment comes like that, that killer instinct and, and everything where I just go full stupid, I'm focusing on that deer, killing that deer. I know for a fact, I, I am that individual that will not let that camera hinder that kill. If that makes sense. Um, I, am not making money off of videos, all that type of stuff. So I'm, I'm going to let it rip. If I, if I don't hit record, I'll be okay with that. But the 360 camera I'm hoping is going to be, I'm going to get a, this is where the gear side of you and I, I think well, we even haven't touched upon yet. This is where you and I, I think are long lost brothers with things, but we are, uh, I want to get a clip made where it's going to hold the back end of a battery. It's going to plug in and charge it like a, um, and be able to run on, on loop. So we'll record every 30 mm-hmm. minutes and what all that jazz. I'm hoping I'll be able to then capture that if I do not happen to get it on the main camera, but yeah i but like you said i i it's crazy you don't need a whole lot of things like heck, if you're going to spend five hundred dollars spend five hundred dollars on on a on a three sixty camera because it's going to be able to capture everything it the the footage is actually really good and cool, and uh maybe it's gonna be lead you into uh that you know what I mean,
1: yeah. The, the only thing that gear, like, obviously it can separate some, mm-hmm. some levels of production, but like there is an aspect to like deer footage and and not many people yep. know this or think about this, but like as a solo filmer, you record, Oh, in, in, in even with a zoomable camera, um, I maybe get 15 to 25% of the deer I actually see hunting on video. Right. Right. Um, so if you just went to the woods with like some GoPros and, and your cell phone, like you're not going to be able, be able to get the four-pointer out there at 40 yards. Just your cameras, yes, you can kind of crop in and see it, but the quality, eh, it'll yeah. be so-so. But deer footage, like, you might get held up. But but as far as overall final product, you can do some really good shots. And, yes, your deer footage is probably going to have to come from encounters inside 20 yards.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, again, it's just a matter of what you really want to get out of it. Like, if you want to get, like you just said, Byron, with get good footage of, of deer and, and all that, which – unfortunately you know when, when we're on I, I mean I'm not gonna lie there's sometimes if it's an 11 minute video and nine minutes of it are of the person talking in the tree I mean I'm fast forward until to get I get to the point where he's uh, encountering deer so yeah it is it is important I, I think and you know and the thing that I think Byron mentioned is you don't need a lot to get started use your phone there's now there's all kinds of gadgets and things that you could use to hook up your, your phone onto and use, whether it be a camera arm, whether it be just on your bow. Uh, so you could, you could do some really awesome stuff, especially now. That was with an iPhone five, which is how many years ago, Byron, whereas now these things are are really good right now.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's gotten a lot better. Yeah. Um, from the, yeah, even the, the GoPros, the three sixties, even the small handy cams are, are better than they were, um, five years ago. Yeah.
0: So here's, here's the funny thing. I talked to somebody the other day, you know, to me, arrows are the gateway drug to individuals working on their own archery equipment. Right. I, I I do. I think it starts with people are afraid to work on bows because they don't want to put a knife close enough to their, their D loop. So they cut their, their, uh, their strings, all that stuff. So what do you do? Oh, if if you fletch an arrow, you could, it's wrong. You could just take that fletching off, retry and try again until you get what you're going. And then that turns into, man, and you love doing it. I'm going to start learning to work on your bow. When it comes to gear, right? When it comes to like uh, climbing sticks, the mobile game, what is the arrow gateway drug per se to the mobile gear? What do you think? Ooh. I... I've been trying when to think of this. There, yeah. I I, 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 got don't, I got it. Okay.
1: It's when you go from a... And for me, I had a $100 field and stream climber. And I remember I was at the Deer and Turkey Expo in college, and so I didn't have money. And I watched the guy give a presentation on um, the tree walker tree stands, which, like, I I the this. dude had some ingenuity to it. And, and obviously they were, I think, his, his model that I was interested in was 18 pounds. But, like the cable had memory and it had a square slot. So when you fed it back into the climber itself, it was automatically square. And so when you slide the pin in to like your adjustment level, like it was perfect. And he painted the tips orange. And so like when you, when you had that orange in the pin, you knew the one below it was your, your acceptor or your female like open end. Yeah. And like, I watched that and I bought that climber and I was like, Oh, my God, I didn't know what I needed until I needed it. Because, dude, I left that field and stream climber in some trees because I got so mad, and it, it was heavy. It didn't carry well. It was loud. It had wing nuts. I had to, like, yep. turn and get in there. So when I went to that just second-level performance, and we're not even talking about the, the stand stick game, but when you get to that, like, just a little better, you're like, holy shit, this is nice. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I think it's that whole when you finally get something that is – extremely better than something that you had you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i mean i think another good one i think is climbing sticks i think when you have that those heavier ones or the way they pack and then you finally have one that might be you're still maybe on a budget and they pack so much better than your old ones you're like okay and then you're then you're like okay wow. I want lighter ones now. <laughs> so then, it's like I think climbing sticks are that are also uh, that that aspect of things. But it's exactly that I think it is. Once you, you ha- got
1: to hunt with it though. Like you yep. got to go from hunting with like the sportsman's guide, like clip yep. heavy thing. You got to go for like two or three hunts. Hang that, and then even if you bought like the hawk sticks, yep. you'd be like, holy shit. Yep. Yep. Uh, and by no means are those a great like. Yeah, you know, climbing stick in the upper echelon of mobile gear these days. But right. like you would be like, holy cow.
0: Dude, when those helium hawk heliums came out, that was like the the big deal.
1: <laughs> yeah, my first mobile setup was an XOP um silver. Okay. And and so that that looked a little more like a, a lone wolf at the time. It had the round speed buttons. It was a little bit bigger. It had an orange seat. And then I had the Hawks. And I think Dave bought the the true lone wolf sticks because okay. I wanted my feet level. I thought there was a win there and they were like, I don't know, 50 to a hundred dollars cheaper on a three or four pack. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, it was, that was, that was, those were my first mobile sticks. They, they did all right. Yeah. For, for, for the time. Yep. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good time. If you're going to start entering that world, nobody like rewind five years ago, I think Dave weighed his pack on a doe hunt and he filmed his hunt. And so it was 45, 50 pounds. Yeah. And for a whitetail hunt, it was for the long, big XOP sticks, uh, a bigger stand, a big camera arm. Dude, I had a, if anybody remembers film and hunts, I think they're called third arm. Yeah, I I weighed It weighed like eight pounds. Um, Yep, yep. And now my tree stand weighs less than that. Like what?
0: If you're in the market for finding a new trail camera, I highly encourage you to look no further than Exodus. Exodus has two main options to choose from as far as cameras go. A budget-friendly option that doesn't compromise quality. The Exodus Rival is the camera for you. Simplicity meets functionality in this easy-to-use, feature-rich cell camera. The Rival offers crystal-clear, photo-quality, easy setup and use With complete remote management through the app anywhere in the world two already are set up in northeastern pa for me and they're working flawlessly and if you're looking for an all-encompassing cell camera seriously look no further than the render it's their flagship camera it stood the test of time for thousands of hunters across the country i have one deployed here locally where i live and another one i'm saving for back in northeastern pa again zero issues and i'll tell you what Exodus stands by their five-year warranty for accidents or for theft. Top of the line customer service. So see for yourself why so many made the switch to Exodus and experience the Exodus difference. Use code AU to get 15% off your first camera today. Yeah, that's crazy. It's so, (laughs) that is just bizarre, man. It's, I don't know. That's just such a blast from the past. Like with that stuff. And, uh, and people bust our balls now that like, Oh, you don't need to be, I love seeing people on Instagram. They're like, apparently I need to work out to get a hunting license or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, if you're trucking up with a 50 pound, you know, backpack, you know, like, hell yeah, you need to do something cause you're going to be sucking wind and only go in about a hundred yards.
1: Yeah. I, I remember we, for a while, we would wear like a backpack on the front, like over like a pregnant woman. If we were on like a, a, a path of, 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 like a four wheeler, forest road, or whatever, because we'd have so much. Like you had on your back, you had your camera arm, your sticks, and your stand, and your front would have your backpack, backpack. full of bullshit. Yep. Um, and, and back in the day, we brought everything but the kit, you know, but the kitchen sink. And now, you know, we we're talking about before, early in this podcast running around with a fanny.
0: <laughs> Being as minimal, minimalist as you possibly can, I. It's so funny how shit just goes in ebbs and flows of of things. And uh, I remember too, like a couple of years ago when think uh what's the company treason or Trezig or whatever um they make the backpacks and all that stuff and i remember or tenzig tenzig and they Tenzing, yeah. yeah and they had their first like lumbar fanny pack ish backpack and i'm like what the hell would you put in that <laughs> you know and like now that's what people are seeking to to use which is kind of cool to see again where where how we've evolved in, into this game let's see
1: yeah, D- Dave has, like, the monster version of that, like, uh, mini fanny pack that still has shoulder straps. Yeah. And, uh, like, it expands, though, like, uh, or whatever. It, they He loves it, though. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So here's kind of to to get the last kind of topics going here, Byron. Um, we're just talking about, like, the whole public land thing and, and private land thing. When you – what are, like, with that, I think – the term that's been tossed around is like finding those overlooked spots and to get into those areas and, and find where you're going. How, how does pressure, I guess, affect your planning during that, during the, like your hunting season?
1: Yeah. So I, 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 I don't like hunting pressure. I, I would rather hunt a place that maybe is uh, less affected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as from, from from people hunting it or, or, or having access to it uh even if that means maybe lower deer numbers like that's i i think i'd rather play that game um and as far as like hunting pressure like i don't necessarily like i i get deterred a little bit from uh trucks and parking lots a little uh as far as it, that aspect is concerned mm-hmm. but dave has kind of coached me up and been like dude like Chances are you, I, I, I don't talk to people when I pull into parking lots. Cause I always feel like I know what's going on in the woods, maybe more than they do. Right. Um, and you can, uh, dude, I'm fully like judging the guy who's stepping out. <laughs> if he steps out rubber boots, like nah, like I ain't too worried. Yeah. Uh, he, he, you know, you can't walk that far or uh, you know, try sided hilling in a pair of rubber boots all day. Like good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I definitely like keep some tabs on, on trucks and uh, maybe judge the guy based on what kind of gear he is, what he says, you know, if, uh, a, a question I sometimes get is like a guy says, Oh, I seen a nice one or I killed a hammer in here two years ago. If he says that, I ask him what, what's a hammer. And if like, he doesn't have a quick answer of like, Oh yeah. one fifty four, like, or, you yeah. know, then you kind of know, I, I don't know. it's a big 10. Like you can kind of start to gauge how, how dialed in he is. Um, with that like and and i i definitely see a little more pressure too from like the backdoor aspect of public we talked about this a little more um earlier in the podcast with the popularity like people are hunting the five and ten acres that butt up a lot of times now like rewind a couple years ago people would maybe have a feeder on their five acres that butt into the public but they wouldn't step foot into it and now they are yeah um but yeah. Yeah. Pressure doesn't, I, I, and, and you talked overlook. I, 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 think that's a, a ridiculous term overlooked. The deer are where the deer are. Yeah. Um, and I can't find those overlooked spots on maps. I'm not, I'm not I got to find the ambush point in the woods. Like yeah. I got to see it in, in person with my eyes. Um, yeah, for that, me, like this, yeah, for me ahead.
0: like that, that overlooked spot is going to be like finding that random ass water hole like that. And you're not going to see that on on a map, right? Like you have to stumble upon that, like you're saying, going from a point A to point B on good trail or something along those lines that's leading you to that destination. I just, again, I think it's that one. That's and I wouldn't even say that's an overlooked spot. I guess that's just finding that kind of little hidden gem, I guess per se. But yeah, I I don't know because I've you know talking to Zach Farrenball from a couple times and hearing him talk about those areas where you're close even to parking locations and how deer are, could be actually observing you like from there. And he shared some stories on that podcast. And it's just so funny to hear because i bet you it happens a lot more than we think.
1: Sure. Like I, uh, I mean, I could have bucked close to a parking lot and like automatically people say it was overlooked. And I would be like, no, the habitat was really good there. And it was very advantageous for a deer to survive there. It wasn't overlooked. Um, you know, if you, if you walked the whole 500 acres in the, off of that parking lot, if you a slightly elevated hunter, you'd be like, yeah, most bucks sign was here. And but it's not overlooked. I just, I think it's where the deer is meets really good habitat meets with a, a little bit of unpressuredness. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think overlooked. Eh, yeah. Deer over the deer are.
0: Yeah. I like that, man. All right. Let me do some rapid fire with you. <clears throat> I got to come <laughs> up with them quick here. So. We'll start with it. one that's super easy. What's your favorite day to hunt?
1: Favorite day to hunt, uh, November 15th. I've killed two bucks.
0: Ooh, nice. What is your must-have that will always be in your pack during the rut? During the rut?
1: Probably water. Uh, otherwise, I'll, I'll cramp.
0: Cramp, okay. Um, you could kill 130- with the trad or a 170 with your compound.
1: I'm gonna go 170 compound because that may never you know that yeah, you're not there big enough it may never happen again. <laughs>
0: I like it. Um what is your biggest regret hunting?
1: Biggest regret hunting that is a good very good question. Um Two things come to mind is is I didn't I didn't get exposed to hunting early in life, but I still had like an inclination to like want to try it. Mm-hmm. I liked I thought shooting guns was fun. Um, and mom and dad both didn't own a lot of firearm any firearms. It was like forbidden in my house. But uh, my cousins were a little bit more redneck than me, and I was like, "Dude, I think that that'd be a blast." I can remember driving down uh, some of the major highways that go through the rural counties here in Ohio, and looking and I exploded out of my seat one time when we drove by a snowbank or like a snow hill hillside, and I seen like five deer. I was like, "Oh, there's deer!" Like, yeah. But clearly, there was something inside me, um, and I played a lot of paintball growing up in in high school. There was something in there that needed scratched, and I do wish I'd a uh, I'd a really cannonballed in a touch earlier okay. um that, yeah that that that's a little bit of a regret and i can remember i uh, was sitting on um the floor and my my papa bill was behind me and uh we were watching deer hunting and i remember him saying like hey i'd like to uh i'd like to try that someday and i said me too and uh i shot my first buck off that ground <laughs> dude i wish i would have fucking done with him because because he he i think that moment like he lit that little spark yeah yeah
0: that's awesome man yeah uh, that is awesome dude i uh, could just tell him that passion i love it i love it dude what is something new you're doing this year
1: oh the stick bow Stick bow uh yeah. n- never never shot it and uh oh i bought one i think i ordered it in february got it i think late april or may and uh I pretty much shot every day, but I think seven since then. And and part of that was family vacations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You love doing it.
1: Oh, dude. It's a blast. I've never had so much fun. Um, I I killed a groundhog with it the other day and it was like a 10 minute sneak. And I I smacked him at like 12 yards and you'd have thought I like chipped in for like birdie. I gave the old Tiger Woods fist pump. Like I, (laughs) I, it was awesome.
0: That's awesome. Last one. Have you ever used your camera data from, say, May to June and seeing that first fawn drop for when you want to go out and maybe hunt that next fall?
1: No, th- th- I really have never done that via uh, trail cam-esque. I've yeah. walked across some fawns and we backdated it, yep. but I still haven't even hunted that piece in public uh, in the last five years. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, it's not not on the radar,
0: dude. I dude, this was such a fun conversation, Byron. I I, I don't know, man. It's so funny talking to guys that like I really, I, I not funny, but I just I I love having these conversations for with people that I really respect that I really want to just get a chance to know and, and enter an interview and talk to and learn from, uh, like I said earlier in the very beginning, I really respect what you do. <clears throat> I think you do a oh, phen- man, appreciate it. I, I think you do a phenomenal job. You're very personable. Uh, you're a no bullshit kind of guy. And I like that as well. And you know, just, I really appreciate what what you shared today. Hopefully we could do another one down the line. So Byron, oh, where, yeah. where, where can people watch you listen to you and follow along with all your, your, your goodness that you're putting out, man.
1: Yeah. I'd say like the number one place is, uh, the YouTube channel, uh, whitetail experience. And then obviously like the major social platforms, we do a light podcast. That's not a, it's like a every two weeks. it's, it's not like our main outlet, but it is an avenue that allows people to get to know us on long conversation format, yep. if you will. Yep. Um, and I get to interview some guys and ask some personal selfish questions. So it is cool to, to be able to do that. Um, I'm a big consumer of podcasts, but, but yeah, I don't claim to be a podcaster.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like it, Byron. Well, everybody, if you're already not following along with what Byron's been doing, please do so. It's some great stuff, uh, very relatable, but you're going to get a lot out of it. So thanks again, everybody for tuning in this week. We'll see you next week and antler up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Antler Up podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please go check us out on our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and go wild and at antlerupoutdoors.com. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave a review and subscribe for next week's episode. Until then, Antler
1: Up.